I invite you to turn with me over to the book of Zechariah. We're going to be continuing on in chapter 8 this morning. Last time I was here, we looked at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, today we're going to look at verses 9 to 23. You can find Zechariah in the uh, Bible in the chairs on page 796. <coughs> This is Zechariah chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in, for I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not, for these are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So far the reading of God's word. <coughs> Sometimes when people ask me a question, I give them two options. Well, would you like the, the short answer or the long answer? The short answer isn't usually yes or no. My wife Katie says that I am constitutionally unable to answer a question with a simple yes or no. Most of the time, you're just getting a few thoughts. Now, the long answer is long. It's not just the answer to your question. It's all of the underlying groundwork and reasoning. And I think I'm in good company because the prophets weren't exactly good at giving short answers either. Way back at the beginning of Zechariah chapter 7, a delegation from the city of Bethel visits Jerusalem and asks Zechariah about fasting. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for many years? That's chapter 7, verse 3. 
the fast of the fifth month, remember the day in 587, when Solomon's temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And then the next two chapters are Zechariah's answer. And we finally get his conclusion in verses 18 and 19. And even there, he doesn't give them a simple yes or no. Instead, he says, their fasting is going to be turned to feasting. Now, Zechariah's answer takes two chapters because he wants them to understand what God was doing. A simple yes or no won't do. They need to see why their fasts are going to be turned to feasts. The people of Jerusalem were in the middle of rebuilding the temple. They'd already given up once. And this long, drawn-out answer puts their work in the right framework. They were part of what God was doing in history. And that's what we need to see, too. Now, most of us are called to things that take a long time. Earning a degree, parenting children, going to work, being a faithful spouse, being faithful in retirement. And the work that we have to do tomorrow looks a lot like the work that we had to do last week. It's easy to get lost in the repetitive ordinariness. But Zechariah wants us to lift our eyes and see our part in the big picture. You, right here and right now, are part of building the kingdom of Jesus. We're going to look at this in four parts. We'll, We'll start with the ongoing daily work of rebuilding the temple. That's the kind of work that we are called to. We're doing the repetitive things in front of us every day. And after that, we'll look at God's faithfulness and what he intends for his people. And then we'll finally get to Zechariah's answer to the question about fasting and close with this vision of what's to come. Now, the delegation from Bethel arrives when the people were about halfway finished. And their question was the perfect opportunity to look up from their work, see where they've been and how much progress they've made, and remember where the Lord their God was taking them. And we need the same thing. You are part of God bringing the nations to himself through Jesus. My passage opens, verse 9, Let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. Now the people Zechariah is talking to are the returners, those who came back from the exile in Babylon starting about 538 B.C. Uh, we read earlier in Ezra 3, Uh, about how almost as soon as they got back, they started rebuilding the temple. And the beginning was mixed. The people laid the foundation with singing and instruments. They tried to make it a joyful, celebratory time. And most of the younger people shouted in praise. But the older people had much more mixed emotions. Some of them shouted for joy. Others of them openly wept. They saw right away that this new temple they were working on could not compare with the one they had in their memories. They were disappointed right from the start, even before they ran into the local opposition that would cause the work to stop. And and look, we know what this is like. Most of us are called to live lives filled with repetition and hard work, and that causes mixed feelings. Parents, you love your kids, but you also have to feed and clothe and clean and teach them. You make dinner one night, and then they have to eat the very next day. You know, in our house, it's not even the next day. It's just a couple hours later, and they're already hungry again. Kids, you know what this is like. There's always another math lesson, right? Another homework assignment that you have to do. You you keep having to do your chores around the house. You can't just do them once and have them done forever. Our, Our jobs are like this. You finish up a project or an assignment, but there's... There's always another one coming up. There's always another report to write or another patient to see or another sermon to prepare. Even in retirement, we face these kind of challenges. You've got 
days in front of you. And sometimes they're filled with things like doctor's appointments, but other times you've got to figure out how you're going to make a good use of that time. Most of us have to keep doing the same things over and over every single day, only to wake up the next morning and start the process all again. And Zechariah gets it. He also understands uh, what's happened in Israel's recent history. That's verse 10. For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. After the initial group of returners uh, gave up, ceased the work, the temple project languished unfinished for almost 20 years. Finally, in 520 BC, God sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And Haggai drew a clear connection between the state of the temple and the state of the people. This is Haggai 1. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. And not only did their work have the ordinary difficulties that we run into, it was extraordinarily difficult. Everywhere they turned, they were frustrated. Everything they tried seemed to end in disaster. Haggai tells us why. One nine, because of my house that lies in ruins. They faced this extra layer of frustration because they neglected God's worship. They gave up on what they knew they were supposed to be doing. All that was before. The context that Zechariah is writing to has changed. That was in those days. But in these days, the people had gotten back to work, and the Lord promised that he was going to bless them. Verse 11 and 12 of our passage. But now, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. It wasn't going to be like before. They were being faithful, and God promised to be faithful to them. Now, this was a a specific time in redemptive history when God drew a clear line between their obedience and their material success. The frustration they experienced in their work was directly related to their behavior. It's not the same for us. We can't draw a straight line between our obedience and our bank accounts. Upping your tithe is not going to guarantee you're going to have an easier day at work tomorrow. But, you know, the same basic call goes out to us all, and it comes at the end of verse 13. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Zechariah's hearers had a job to do, and so do we. The Lord's put you in different contexts, your spouses and parents, children, bosses, employees, students. We need to do the work he has called us to where he has put us. Strengthen your hands. Work hard at the task God has given you, even the frustrating ones, because he is with you in them. And that's what we need to see here first. Our our work in this life can be difficult, boring, repetitive, and weary. Just about everybody has something about their job or their life that they don't enjoy. But do not give up doing what the Lord has called you to. Be like these rebuilders, strong and faithful. Don't be afraid. Your God is with you, just like he was with them. After the encouragement about what's right in front of us, Zechariah tells us the why. He gives us 
the groundwork. And he does it by lifting our eyes to the bigger story of redemptive history. Now, he's not ready to answer the question about fasting yet, but verses 14 to 17, he reminds us how we got here. And that means explaining the exile. Verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. And I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. The exile was the returner's defining experience. This is why they had to do the work of rebuilding the temple, and it's why they become a byword of cursing among the nations. The, the trauma of the exile defined their present life. And Zechariah wants them to remember why it happened. Two important parts to his explanation. The first, the exile happened because their ancestors provoked God to wrath. Now, when being this far removed, God's judgment on Jerusalem can seem a little harsh to us, especially when you read about the atrocities that were committed around the time of its fall. But, but God's not like us. He didn't lose his patience with his people overnight. He was provoked by them, by uh, over the years and decades and centuries. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, the pre-exilic prophets like Amos and Hosea. There was no justice in the land. The poor and the vulnerable were bought and sold like animals. The people completely rejected God and turned their backs on him. And at the same time, they presumed on his protection in the temple. God even shows Ezekiel uh, priests and leaders committing abominations in the temple itself. God had given them the land and his promises, but they rejected him. Eventually, he rejected them. Now, I think it's important for us to say here that that the Lord is the one who interpreted those events for us. Now, we know what they mean because God tells us what they mean. And he hasn't done the same thing for the tragedies that we see around us, especially the tragedies of unfolding over in Israel right now. But we shouldn't make the mistake of, of thinking we know exactly why something around us is happening. Instead, we should grieve with the mourning and pray for those who are suffering. May our God bring peace to that troubled land, to peace in Ukraine and peace in India, all the places where we hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, the second thing Zechariah said to them here, though, uh, was at some point it, it had become too late. God had purposed to bring disaster on Jerusalem, and he did not repent. And Zechariah talked about it earlier in chapter 7. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. They provoked God to the point where he had rejected them and would not change his mind. That was all the context. That's what had happened in the past. That was then. This is now. Their story continued. There's this constant refrain in this passage between the former days and these days. These are the days when God's people are hard at work rebuilding the temple. These are the days when God says he will save Judah and Israel and they will be a blessing. So I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. The exile happened because the people in those days rejected the Lord, but they're not living in those days. They were living in the days of God's blessing. Once again, God had made a plan that would not be changed, this time not to bring them harm, but to bless them. The Zechariah's hearers, they needed to see their place in this story. They weren't in the far past. They weren't in the glory days of Israel with David and Solomon. They weren't in the time when people were consistently rejecting the Lord. They weren't even in the tragic days of the exile. They were in the days when God was bringing his people home. And and look, we've got to see the same thing. 
We need to understand where we are in God's story. You are not living in the time of the exile. And you're not living in Zechariah's time. You're not living in the time of the restoration. His original hearers have been dead for almost 2,500 years. You are living in the time between the Advents, the time between Jesus' first and his second coming. And just like the returners needed to remember their father's sin, we need to look back on what happened because of our sin. This is why Jesus came. He came to deal with the consequences of what we had done. His death was to cover us, to make a way for us to be forgiven. As Zechariah's years look back on the, the terrible judgment of the exile, we look back to a terrible judgment too. The judgment that the Father purposed to pour out on his own Son instead of on us. And the judgment that the Son was willing to bear in our place because our God loves us and doesn't want any of us to perish. That is where you are in the grand flow of history. You live in these days, in the days after the cross, when we look to the death and sacrifice of the Son. Before we move on, we need to hear this again. God sent his Son to die for us because he loves us. And he does not want us to perish. And that includes you. That the offer of Jesus is open to you right now. You can have forgiveness right this very moment. Call out to him and ask him to save you. Don't wait for me to stop talking. Pray right now that God would forgive you because of Jesus. And he will. There's just one more thing Zechariah wants us to hear before we finally get to his answer about the fasting. That's verses 16 and 17. These are things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false hope, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. That's similar language to what Zechariah said back in chapter 7. You might remember his answer to the question about fasting actually begins with a rebuke. The people are starting to become overly concerned with externals. They're, they're beginning to trust in building the temple and the externals of worship, not in the Lord. And God does care about how he is worshipped, but what he cares most about is our hearts, that we love and trust him and not ourselves. And that love is then demonstrated in the way that we treat the people around us, speaking the truth, rendering just judgments, planning good for, evil, uh, for others and not evil, keeping our word. God has always wanted the same thing from his people back then and now. He wants us to love him first, and then have that love expressed in the way we treat other people. Remember, Jesus said these are the first and second greatest commandments. Love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself. And we do that by being people of the truth, by being fair in our dealings, by planning good and not harm. Well, it, it does take uh, two chapters and 32 verses, but in verses 18 and 19, uh, we finally get the answer to the initial question from Bethel. Should I weep? and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years. And, and even here, we don't get exactly a, a straight yes or no. So if you ever ask me that kind of question and you get frustrated by my response, I'm like Zechariah, what can I say? Uh, here's how the prophet responds, verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. 
Now, the fast of the fifth month was the one they asked about. It was the most important of the four in Zechariah's answer. That fast commemorated the day that the first temple was destroyed. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. The other fasts were all connected to the exile, too. The fast in the fourth month, remember the day the city wall was breached. fast in the seventh month was in honor of Gedaliah. He was a governor who was murdered. And the fast in the tenth month recalled the day Nebuchadnezzar began his siege of the city. Zechariah brings up all four because he wants his answer to be comprehensive. They're not just dealing with the temple or the day it was destroyed. They're dealing with the exiles as a whole, everything that surrounded them. And the Lord tells them that all of these fasts are to be changed to feasts, seasons of joy and gladness. And he's signaling that the page has been turned. That time in the past is important, but that time is over. That was an era of sadness and grief, mourning over sin and what was lost. Now is a time of joy and celebration. The people are no longer to mourn. They are to celebrate what God has done for them. Again, Zechariah is trying to get them to see where they are in this story. And the exciting thing is the change has already happened. The page has turned. They're in a new chapter. They're still only halfway through the rebuilding project. They don't know how much longer it's going to take or even if it will finish. But enough has been done. Enough has changed. The Lord wants them to go from mourning to rejoicing. They need to focus on what was right in front of them, not on what they left behind. And how much more true is that for us? People ask Jesus why his disciples didn't fast, like the disciples of John or the Pharisees. And he told them, the guests don't fast when the bridegroom is with them. We live on the joyful side of the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again to life. This, this right now is the time of feasting and joy. The bridegroom has come, and he invites us to his reception. Now, we can't forget what our sins cost. We Cannot forget Jesus' death on the cross, his humiliation, his suffering, his shame. The author of life tested death, tasted death for us. That's why we still celebrate the Lord's Supper. In it, we remember Jesus' death until he comes. But it's not a mistake that we remember him with a meal. Jesus is not still dead. The, the cross is empty. Joseph of Arimathea took his body, buried it in his own tomb, and then on the third day, Jesus rose again to life. These are the days when death has broken into, uh, when life has broken into this world. Even death is working backwards. And more is to come. And that's the last thing Zechariah shows us in the drawn out answer. And we need to do the work that we've been called to. For them, it was building the temple. For us, it's our, our daily tasks. We need to remember as well the time that we are living in where we are in this great story of redemption that God has been telling through the ages. And we also need to think about where that story is going. And that's what we get in verses 20 and 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now Zechariah puts it in terms that people would understand. 
Peoples shall yet come, the inhabitants of many cities. They were discouraged by the work in the, the state of Jerusalem. Zechariah says, no, no, this is what's going to happen. People will come. It's almost like that line from Field of Dreams. People will come, right? The city is not going to be desolate and empty forever. It'll be filled and alive again. It'll be full of men and women and children from every nation, every tribe, and every language. Zechariah is describing the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all the way back from Genesis 12, that he would be a blessing and that him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Foundational promise in the Old Testament. It's exactly what Zechariah describes happening. Ten people grabbing onto one Jew because he knows where God is. The nation streaming into Jerusalem because that's where they find the Lord. Historically speaking, we know that Zechariah's hearers didn't get to see that. The temple's completed, Jerusalem's inhabited. This kind of blessing doesn't really take place. Over the next 500 years, they're upon and the rise and fall of world empires. But when the Romans have finally taken control of the known world, something happened to bring these promises all the way true. Shortly after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, his disciples were all gathered together in one room when suddenly there was a sound of wind and flames of fire appeared on their heads. And they started to speak in languages that they didn't know, but the people outside knew. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. It's Acts 2, 10 to 11. And then from there, the good news spread like wildfire. 3,000 people out of the first day, more every day that passed, men, women, and children from every nation, every language, every tribe, hearing and believing the good news about Jesus. And then taking it home with them. Now soon there were churches just popping up all over the known world, even in Rome herself, people holding on to the robe of a Jew, the Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, because he heard that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But that's where we are right now. The nations are coming to the church. Many peoples, strong nations, seeking the Lord of hosts. We get to be part of that. We get to be part of God gathering his people to himself here in Medford, across the river in Glenside, and across this whole globe. The knowledge of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Zechariah doesn't give them a, a concise yes or no. He can't just answer their question about fasting. He's got to show them, look, this is where we are in the storm. So he begins with their responsibilities. They needed to keep on with the work in the temple. Keep building, brick by brick, no matter what opposition you face. And, and we need to do the same thing. Be faithful in your callings as husbands and wives, as parents and children, grandparents, grandchildren, workers, students, bosses, employees, retirees. Do that work that's right in front of you, the, the daily and weekly and monthly and yearly tasks that just seem to keep going. Because we are not in the former days anymore. We are in these days. These are the days after the cross when our sins have been forgiven. These are the days when the love of the Father has been poured out for his children and proven once and for all. These are the days of feasting, not of fasting. These are the days when God is building his kingdom, his church. The Spirit has been poured out and the nations are streaming in. And you get to be part of that. You get to be part of that in gathering. 
That's why we go to work. That's why we share the reason for the hope we have in this. People still take hold of the robe of Jesus. And then one day the work will be done. Just like they finished and dedicated the temple, one day the kingdom will be full and everyone Jesus died for will be safely brought home. And then we'll get to enjoy the great feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. We will see our Savior and sit with him and rejoice in his kingdom. Until then, fear not, but let your hands be strong. Do what he has called you to, because the former times are past and the times of rejoicing have come. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, how thankful are we to live in these days, the days since our Savior has come, when all of the promises that you made over all of those years became true and yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Our Savior who died for us, died taking our death and our sins upon him, and then rose again from the dead, giving us the same resurrection life, giving us a hope and a future, assuring us that the grave will not be our end, but we will follow him. And just as, as he rose to glory, we will rise with him. Lord, strengthen our hands. Strengthen our, our hands for the tasks that you have called us to tomorrow. As you send us back into this world to, uh, at our various labors, help us to see where we are, uh, that we are in these days, the days after the empty tomb. Uh, give us hope that you are still building your kingdom and that you are doing it through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.